And if you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. In your bulletins, I know uh, I had said that we're going to read verses 1 through 16. Uh, We're going to cut it off at 11 this morning for our reading. We're going to read Romans 2 verses 1 through 11. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, the glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, Glenn mentioned this morning as we were uh, talking about uh, our trip to Oklahoma that not only did we have the opportunity to build sheds in Moore, but the warehouse that was storing our equipment and uh, the trucks and trailers was not far from the memorial to the Oklahoma City bombing that happened on April 19, 1995. Uh, It's hard to believe that that's almost 20 years ago now. Um, I can still remember that day, um, similar to 9-11. I remember where I was when I heard the news, uh, seeing the pictures of the devastation, hearing the death toll rise. Um, On that day, 168 people died, uh, including three pregnant women as well. So in reality, the death toll was 171 Um, Uh, Across the street from the memorial, the Catholic Church had also put a memorial up. And uh, it was of Jesus. And the the caption was, Jesus wept. And they had shadow boxes uh, for each uh, victim. They had, uh, because of 
the beliefs of the Catholic Church, of which I agree with this, uh, they had 171 because they were counting the children uh, who were still inside uh, their mothers at the time. And they had pillars, they had 22 pillars uh, that were, in a sense, following Jesus, uh, signifying uh, Jesus calling the little children to come and follow him. Um, It was very moving. But uh, as you know, uh, the man who committed that crime, Timothy McVeigh, uh, he had an accomplice as as well. Um, But the the one we most associate with that is is McVeigh. And he was free for about an hour and a half after the bombing. Uh, He was pulled over and uh, taken into custody because the car that he was driving did not have a license plate. Uh, He was illegally carrying a weapon. And uh, so he was basically uh, arrested for uh, something completely unrelated to the bombing. Um, But while he was in custody, it it became known days later uh, that that this was the man who had committed this crime. So on June 2, 1997, he was convicted uh, of these heinous crimes. And only four short years later, in 2001, at uh, the penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, Timothy McVeigh was executed. As we think back on that, as we realize the events and what happened, um, it it breaks our heart to know uh, that so many people, so many innocent people, in a sense, lost their lives. Um, But to know that the man was caught... In a sense, it feels like justice has been served. It will never bring back the people who were killed then, um, but to know that the man who who actually committed the crime um, was caught and sentenced um, and executed, it seems, in a sense, that justice has been served. Uh, This morning, we're going to be talking about the justice of God and what that is and what that means. Uh, as we've been going through our series on knowing God, this is actually the last week that we're, we're doing this series. Um, we've been approaching it because there, as J.I. Packer says, there is an ignorance of God, even in the church. As quoted in his book, Knowing God, he says there's an ignorance of God, ignorance of both his ways and of the practices of communion with him, And this lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. So what we've been doing is seeing how God, or who God is through his attributes. Um, His love, uh, his grace, his mercy, uh, the fact that he is uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, uh, as the catechism states in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So this morning we're going to end with the justice of God. Uh, this is a hard one to, um, to talk about. Uh, it's not the most popular one. Um, talking about his mercy and his goodness and his wisdom and truth, uh, those are a little more popular. Uh, you can talk all day long about the love and the mercy of God. People will nod their heads and they'll agree. Uh, but once you start mentioning uh, God's justice or God as judge, um, there's some resistance. But that should not be the case, because this is who God is. And it's a good thing that he is a God of justice. Uh, God's justice is one that we don't like to talk about, um, because our view of who God is is often skewed. And so hopefully we can correct some of that this morning. 
So first of all, what we've been doing is defining these terms. Uh, we've defined love and mercy and grace. So what is justice? What really does that mean? Well, justice is doing what is right, what is, what is lawful, what is morally equitable. When Timothy McVeigh is convicted of his crimes, we call that justice. Uh, when a man is proven innocent and is set free, we call that justice. When the fastest runner in the race gets the gold medal, that is justice, provided he's not using performance-enhancing drugs, which happens a lot recently. Um, uh, Justice is closely associated in the Bible with righteousness. Uh, the, The passage we read this morning for our call to worship in Psalm 33 talks about the righteousness and justice of God. Psalm 89, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So righteousness and justice are very closely related. And according to Romans 2, verse 11, it's showing no partiality. It's showing no favoritism. So imagine the scene. Uh, Imagine that a man has two sons and two daughters. It's not very hard for me to imagine. Um, And imagine that his two sons are ganging up and being mean to his two younger daughters. First of all, that would make me furious if that ever happened. Because we're raising knights in our household, and that knights defend princesses. They do not gang up and hurt princesses. But if that had happened, uh, imagine that I treated my two sons differently. And even though they were both doing the exact same thing, uh, imagine if I punished one and I did not punish the other. That would be a supreme injustice. Now, I could punish them in different ways because they respond differently to punishment, but not dealing with their sins uh, would be an injustice. God's justice is all over the Bible. It is all over Scripture, if we read, um, as we read. Uh, as our catechism states, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His justice. And there is a long record of the demonstration of God's justice in the Bible. Um, You can read through the book of Genesis, and immediately you see God's justice as he deals with Adam and Eve after the fall. You see God's justice in the flood, which uh, I've seen some trailers for a new movie that's coming out on the life of Noah, starring Russell Crowe. I'm interested to see how uh, they portray this usual cute and cuddly nursery story of all the animals in the ark, but in reality, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brutal story of God's justice and his dealing with sin. Uh, we see God's justice in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the ten plagues on Egypt, uh, this cycle of the judges uh, that keeps happen- happening uh, in the exile to Babylon and Assyria, Uh, We even see it in the New Testament, in the life of Ananias and uh, Sapphira, if you know that story. Um, We even see it in the life of Christ. Um, If you read through the the prophets, you see the justice of God constantly uh, being portrayed. So imagine if God was not a God of justice. 
Imagine if God wasn't a God who did what was right, who did what was lawful, what was morally equitable. Imagine if he wasn't a God who was righteous. Uh, Without a God of justice, what would we be left with? Well, without justice, we are left with a God who does not keep his word. We're left with a God who doesn't take sin seriously or even himself seriously. We're left with a God who doesn't defend his own honor. We're left with a God who is weak and in reality who is not worthy of our glory and our praise. What we're left with is a God we cannot trust because we don't know if he will actually do what he, will, what he says he will do. Because how can we trust in the promises of God if he doesn't follow through on what he says, if he is not a God of justice? When I was a youth pastor, one of the things that I saw a lot, and I think we see a lot in our culture today, um, is a portrayal of a God without justice in parents who desire to be their kids' friend. Uh, One of the things that really frustrated me as a youth pastor uh, was not the kids so much. Um, I enjoyed them and, you know, got frustrated with them on occasion because they're teenagers and they do things. But um, it's with parents who desire to be their, their child's friend. Uh, I understand the rationale behind it. Um, I understand uh, wanting to have a good relationship with your child. Uh, I want understanding that you want to be there for them. Uh, but you can still have a good relationship with your kids and still be their parent. Uh, parents who approach their relationship with their child uh, wanting to be their friend, they desire to be supportive of their children. I get that. Um, and I want to be that way too. They don't want to, to squash them or put them down. Um, they want their children to be able to come to them in, in situations that they struggle. Uh, but what ends up happening to a large degree and what I saw is that this allows the children to walk all over their parents. And instead of actually coming to them, um, it it builds up a a lack of trust in their parents. Instead of developing a good relationship with them, children lose respect then for their parents. It, in a sense, the opposite effect uh, of what is intended. It can even go so far as children wondering if their parents even care because their, their parents won't do anything. Um, and I think one of the reasons why this is the case is because parents hate hearing the words, that's not fair. Um, I haven't heard it yet from my children. Uh, they're not quite old enough. Um, but uh, I would imagine that as parents, you hate hearing the word, well, that's not fair. Um, I don't think that justice equals fairness. I don't think these are the same things. Because fairness, I believe, is, a, is something that we've made up in our culture. Uh, I think that fairness is something where everyone gets the same, where no one gets their feelings hurt, no one gets offended. Uh, I think it has to do with political correctness. It's the situation where every child gets a trophy, no matter if they're winners or losers. And believe me, I understand that to some degree. You want to, to encourage kids. Um, but fairness, what is fairness? 
What does this need to be politically correct to avoid hurting other people's feelings or, or offending others? Can we say that God is fair? It was a question that I was struggling with this past week. And based on Scripture, I don't think we can come to the conclusion that God is fair. God is a God of justice. Absolutely true. But I don't think fairness is a category that's on God's radar screen. Uh, fairness is more of a concept that we have made up. It's not that God doesn't care about our feelings, but God is more concerned with justice and with his glory. He's not a God of political correctness. He's a God of justice. When you talk about God and his justice, um, as I said earlier, it's not something that's very popular uh, among people to be talking about a God of justice. Because when you talk about justice, you have to talk about things that are right and things that are wrong. And as soon as we begin talking about things that are right and things that are wrong, we start touching on absolutes. And we know that in our culture today, we don't like to talk about absolutes. Things are relative. What's good for you may not be good for me. Uh, But when we talk about a God of justice, we're claiming absolutes. Fairness is something that we think to be true. Because when we, when we talk about fairness, we often say, well, I don't think that that's very fair. You see, fairness is relative from person to person. My children uh, went trick-or-treating this past Halloween and got sacks of candy. Um, as you are counting out the candy and seeing who got what, Invariably, you get to the point of, well, he has more than me, and that's not fair. Um, Well, you think that it's not fair. That's the problem. Um, Other people may think that it is fair. Uh, One person may not think that it's fair to live, uh, while one person lives in a nice house, while other people are homeless. Um, Another person may think that that situation is fair, because the person in the house has worked hard for the things that he has. Um, What really is fair? Um, It's relative. But when we talk about God, we don't talk in terms of relativity. We talk about absolutes because God is a God of justice. In our passage this morning, starting in verse um, verse 6, we run into a passage that, that causes me to cringe sometimes when I read it. Verse 6 says that God, he will render to each according to his works. And I want to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now what happened to salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? This sounds like a works righteousness that I need to work for my salvation and God is going to judge me based on my actions. Uh, We have had uh, the concept of of not by works ingrained into our brains, and that is absolutely true. We are not saved by our works. But what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 29, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. Uh, When I was uh, younger at the church that I grew up in, uh, in order to join the church, you were often asked a series of questions by the elders. And uh, one of the questions that my dad warned me about as he was uh, an elder at that time, 
He said, One of, a person is probably going to ask you the question, are you saved by works? And the answer is that he is looking for is yes, but not by my works. I'm saved by the works of Christ. What Christ has done for me, that he has fulfilled the law on my behalf. Um, and our work then is to believe in Christ and in what he has done. As James says later on in his letter, that faith without works is dead. Our, faith, our works do not save us, but our works are the outpouring of our faith. Those who believe in Christ, their lives are changed. And those who believe in Christ will go to heaven, will experience immortality, and, and God will give them eternal life. We should rejoice in the fact that God is a God of justice. Because he is a God of justice, that means he will do what he says he will do. A.W. Tozer, in his book, uh, The Attributes of God, which I've been using uh, as a commentary for this series, says, when God looks at an atoned sinner, he doesn't see the same moral situation that he sees when he looks at a sinner who still loves his sin. So when God looks at a sinner who still loves his sin and rejects Christ and the mystery of atonement, justice condemns him to die. But when God looks at a sinner who has accepted the blood of the everlasting covenant, justice sentences him to live. And God is just in doing both things. Uh, We talk about the mercy of God in salvation. But we don't lose the justice of God in that as well. It is real. Because when we are saved, it isn't just God pouring out his absolute mercy on us. When we are saved, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins have been atoned for at the cross. The blood of Christ covers us. And at that point, we receive justice. We receive what we are due And that is salvation, eternal life, because our sins have been covered. It is God's justice. God, in his justice, has laid upon Christ the punishment for our sin. Because God is a God of justice, he punishes sin. Um, Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Romans, says that every sin communicates a distortion of the image of God to the rest of creation. If God did not punish sin, he would allow his image to be distorted and do nothing about it. He would be a God without a backbone who wouldn't care about his own glory. But from the beginning, God has reminded us that sin has its consequences. It says in Romans that for the wages of sin is death. So God will not allow sin to go unpunished. In fact, he punished sin to the greatest extent through his son, Jesus Christ, and on the cross. And now God executes perfect justice to us as believers. So, um, the hard thing about talking about God's attributes is that there's never enough time uh, to talk about the justice of God. Um, 
But in this brief time that we have, um, what do we take away from the fact that God is a God of justice? So what? What does it mean in our lives? Uh, First of all, God's justice is real, and we need to take it seriously. When we avoid talking about the justice of God and sweep it under the rug, we do not get an adequate picture of who God is. Uh, We get a God who is weak. Um, But just because God is a God of justice doesn't mean that he is a mean-spirited God. Uh, We know that in Ezekiel it says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. But justice shows that God to be faithful. It shows him to be true. It shows him to be trustworthy. That he is concerned with his glory, the preservation of his honor. But it also shows that he is concerned with what is best for his children. Uh, Stephanie and I discipline our children because we care about them. Um, We are not perfect parents by any means. But it shows our children that there is a concept of right and wrong according to God's word. And we view discipline as an opportunity to display Christ to our children. Does it always happen that way? No, it doesn't. Um, But it gives us an opportunity to talk about sin, not just the sin in their lives, but the sin in our lives. Uh, It gives us an opportunity to discuss forgiveness and how amazing it is that Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins. And we desire to display justice to our kids, not so that they will become these, these moral creatures who simply know right and wrong. We display justice and discipline so that they would see Jesus, so that our children would know that they don't measure up, that they can never, but that Christ has accomplished it for them. And because God's justice is real, we won't be able to fool God. Uh, We live in a time uh, of great um, hypocrisy. We're really good at fooling one another. Uh, One of the things that we have benefited from in our men's group so far is is tearing down veils, of opening ourselves up to each other and being honest with one another, uh, something that is hard to do often in our culture. How often do we hear about scandals and think to ourselves, you know, I never would have imagined that person doing such a thing. We are really good at hiding who we really are to other people, but we cannot hide who we really are from God. God's justice is real. God knows reality. He knows our hearts and we cannot fool him. And because of this, he will not tolerate sin. He won't tolerate religious moralism that we present to him. And we can never be good enough to escape his justice. And because God's justice is real, all justice, all injustice in the world will eventually be taken care of. Um, I wish I had more time to get into this this morning, um, but it's important enough to simply mention it. Uh, There is a lot of injustice in the world. It seems like everywhere we turn that the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering. Uh, We see the things that happen in the Philippines and uh, the people who are suffering from that. And it seems like an injustice. All too often it seems like things are not the way it is supposed to be. But because God is a God of justice, all things will be made right. All injustices will be corrected. 
in the end, everything will be dealt with justly, and we can be comforted in the fact that all things will be made right. So because God's justice is real, this is what it leads us to. It leads us to an honest confession of our sin in relationship with God and in our trust of Jesus Christ. It allows us to put away the excuses that we usually give of, well, everyone's doing it, and I know that not just teenagers say this, we say it as well. Uh, The excuse of, well, to err is human or nobody is perfect. We don't have to give those excuses anymore. God doesn't want our excuses. He desires our honest confessions. He desires to tell him what he already knows about us. Because when we honestly confess, we throw ourselves at the feet of Christ. We don't need to be scared of God's justice. Because he knows already. We don't need to be scared of God's justice because he has poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, all of our sins have been atoned for. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God of justice. That through your Son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him, our sins have been atoned for. We look forward to the day, Lord, when you will make all things right. Help us to understand your justice and not to fear who you are. And I pray that we would live lives through your Holy Spirit that are pleasing and honoring to you. Lord, we know that we cannot do this on our own. We need you. I pray that you would go before us in your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For our hymn of response, would you please turn in your hymnals to number 35. Number 35. And we'll stand and sing, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. Number 35.